If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. People can change anything they want to. And that means everything in the world. Show me any country and there'll be people in it. It's time to take the humanity back into the center of the ring and follow that for a time. You know, think on that. Without people, you're nothing. Without people, you're nothing. Stoke the fire. All right, roll up, roll up. Stoke the fire, episode 10. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesse, double figures. How about it? Jazz hands. I love it, dude. Our first landmark episode, and I guess the next one will be 50. And I can't even begin to imagine where we'll be by that point. Like, it's already, and I know we kind of keep saying this, but it does bear repeating, especially here at this, you know, juncture. The response so far has been far beyond my wildest dreams, and I know you feel exactly the same. It's been incredible, hasn't it? Yeah, it can't be overstated, honestly. Um, and it's just, you know, we owe we owe a lot to our listeners for sure, but also our guests have been phenomenal. And then, you know, the guests we are potentially having on are phenomenal. So it's it's a blessing. You know, I feel like I'm along for the ride as well. But yeah, it's thank you guys. Thank everybody out there for supporting us. And the response has been incredible. Yeah, let's do some shout outs. Thank you to Father Maximus, who was our very first guest, our first listener guest and, you know, just guest full stop. Keith Buckley, our first kind of artist guest. Um, Marcella, Marcella Kroll, Sage Francis, and most recently Randy Bly, who, I mean, they've all been incredible and special and rewarding and enlightening in their own special, unique ways. But the Randy episode for, for me has really been just the absolute pinnacle of the kind of conversations that we want to be conducting going forward and the response to that one in particular has been insane for yeah, for, for good reasons i've been getting daily daily messages about that one and how people feel empowered or they feel like their point of view has changed there's one guy that said you know i'll remember it forever some of the things that were said that's heavy that's so cool that that happened but yeah randy was great but it's you know our trajectory like we started off really high and then just to see the vulnerability of each guest allowing them to really tell their story and you know there are moments where people got emotional to me that's the stuff that i walked away like wow the bravery of somebody just to open up like that the vulnerability and that's something we said from day one how we wanted to show vulnerability as a strength not you know not something as, as a weakness so i think we've already done that job with our guests for sure so yeah all hails to everybody who's come on this show it's, it. wor- it's worth pointing out as well. We, we did mention this in our Instagram live chat that we did the other day, but I definitely want to say it here. Um, you know, I'm very conscious of the fact, I know you are too, that we've been covering a lot of heavy and also far out, you know, quite wild topics from depression and divorce to obviously addiction and sobriety to the wear and tear of touring and the impact that has on, you know, people's personal relationships. And then we've gone over to faith and spirituality and then things like demonic possession and mysticism and magic. And what's been super cool is everybody, like 
every single person, every comment, every engagement we've had, everybody has been completely open-minded about all of these subjects. And there was a part of me that did think with some of these conversations, there's going to be a bit of a kickback and people are going to kind of, you know, have a, a little dig. But everybody has been so cool and understanding and just like showing empathy and, and a hunger for knowledge. And I think we're at quite an exciting juncture in human history because of this pandemic and, and now obviously coming out of it. It does feel like people are ready for these kind of conversations and to have them received so, you know, warmly that's been something that hasn't gone unnoticed. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Because usually social media is flooded with negativity and we have really yet to receive any sort of negativity. And then, you know, how can, you, how can you though? It's People just telling their stories. It's a beautiful thing. And you're right. I think because of where we've been this, this past year and a half or so, um, it has changed people's perspective. It has changed people's empathy. Um, at least to a certain degree with certain topics, you know, you bring up anything political, God forbid, but people telling their personal stories. Yeah. I, I feel like there's a lot more interest in people wanting to know how people get through hard situations, how people get through trials and tribulations, because we've all been through it. You know, we have that in common now, all of us know on one level or another, what it's like to struggle. So there it is. Yeah, and as we've said since day one, as Joe Strummer says at the start of every episode, the whole intention of this show is to you know, get rid of division and, and focus on the things that unite us and bring humanity back into the center. And, and I feel like we're doing it and we're doing it with your help. So again, again just thank you so much to everybody. Um, I think we should tease a couple of guests, dude. Why not? Let's do it, man. Yeah. So we've got Chris number two from Anti-Flag coming up and also Tim McGillrath from Rise Against. And I think those two will run back to back because both very switched on guys with their activism, with their politics, um, you know, quite shining examples of just decent human beings. Right. And, and a lot of the focus so far has been on struggles and, and things like this. But I think with those guys, and I'm sure they'll have their own struggles as we all do, but just we'll pull them out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, they're just like, you know, I know, you know, Tim, um, and, and you're going to love Chris, but they're both just like really decent, inspiring human beings with so much to say about the state of the world. And I think they'll have some really enlightening, you know, perspective to, to bring to the campfire and share. And then we've got a couple of New York legends who are just going to bring so much. Why don't you tell uh, everybody who the two New Yorkers are going to be? Because those two are just going to bring the thunder. And I can't wait. Yeah, they're two powerhouses in their own right. Um, and I'm a huge fan of both of them. Um, I guess the first one for me would be Vinny Stigma from Agnostic Front, uh, who might not only be one of my favorite uh, musicians and one of my favorite bands, Agnostic Front, but just favorite humans. Yep. Every, everything I've seen of him and just being around his energy and then seeing The Godfathers of Hardcore, which if you haven't seen that movie, go see it. It's so good. So good. And then um, the amazing Mina Caputo from Life of Agony. Uh, what a voice, what a legend, what a transition, and what a force of power and confidence and no fucks given attitude. So I am ex so excited for those two. I, I can't wait to dive into both of their heads and see what's really going on. So yeah, it's... I'm like, all oh, I'm fanboy over here. I can't wait. <laughs> you know that uh, Godfather's a Hardcore documentary? Didn't that filmmaker do a like a live DVD or something with Killswitch? I'm sure there's a connection so, there. So Ian McFarland, who did the Godfather's a Hardcore, is um, 
So there was a duo, uh, McFarlane and Petchy was the company that used to exist. It was two guys, but Ian was, you know, the guy standing next to the camera telling you how to get things done. So he did all, they did always the video for always, which is a powerful video, uh, in due time, strength of the mind. Um, oh, wow. and, so you've done a bunch of stuff with them. Yeah. And hate by design. So pretty much every video we've had since I came back to kill switch has been those guys and Ian, uh, they went their separate ways and Ian went on to do, uh, his first, you know, sort of stepping outside of the partnership was to do Godfathers of hardcore. Um, which is not even, even if you're not a fan of the band or you don't understand hardcore music or whatever, just as a musical documentary or even just a documentary on its own, it's so good because it's so much more than the band. It's really about friendship, about brotherhood, about mortality. You know, there were parts in that where I, you know, my lips quivering, I'm tearing up. Like it's a powerful film, so good. And, you know, if you don't know who Vinny Stigma is, <laughs> Look him up, dude. I was just saying to our uh, one of our um, to Joey, the guy who uh, helps produce our show. Go on to YouTube and look Vinny Stigma for president. I think it's in two thousand eight on YouTube, and that's just a little glimpse into the character that is Vinny Stigma. Yeah, the dude's awesome. Just as a shameless plug as well, I had him on my show, Life in the Stocks, and he just, he had me in stitches, man. I was talking to him about his influences, you know, and he's like, I reach from old, like Sinatra. <laughs> he's just, he's like something out of a Martin Scorsese movie, isn't he? Like, he's a hardcore, old school, mafioso, New York, OG. Um, and he's, yeah. but the best thing about him is, as funny as he is, and he is hilarious, such a big heart as well and i'm sure we, we will get serious with him in a couple of places as well um because he, he's deeper than he perhaps lets on isn't he and he's such a kind-hearted like lovely human being yeah he's just the heart and soul all the way and the great thing about him too is he's part of a, a kind of a dying breed the real new york like he is you know when you say new york to me he's up there with the top five people of like who represents what new york the magic of new york city the Lower East Side, you know, and hardcore and punk, dude. You can't talk about it without mentioning Vinny Stigma. So, Jesse, I want to read out a quick uh, email that we've received. We get so many. Most of the questions we're going to be going through today were from the email. This isn't so much a question as a guest suggestion, and you're going to love this. So check this out. This is one of the ones that came in when you were away in Costa Rica. Hey, boys, loving the podcast. You guys have stoked a fire within me, and it all seems to be coming at a time in my life when I needed it the most. I'm currently juggling mental health and motivation issues, as well as not quite understanding where I stand with alcohol. And you guys are truly helping, by the way. So it's all just coming into place for me as, 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 as much as this guy's saying, like a lot of this stuff is, is, you know, this show is allowing me to, to work through. Um, and he says, having just watched the Keith Buckley episode, I'm suddenly realizing, wow, I'm not alone. Um, as well as thank God, I'm not a touring musician with this brain of mine. Um, I thought of another guy who you might want to chat with by the way. And, and this sounds like a super interesting dude, right? It's a writer called Lennox Nielsen. He's written a book called on the wagon. And, and this is the blurb about this book, and I reckon we should look at getting this guy on. Jack Kerouac's On the Road helped to redefine freedom for a generation, but when a young recovering alcoholic turned to the beat classic for inspiration, he saw more warning signs and wreckages than enlightenment and self-discovery. Was that really freedom? Setting off from Australia, Lennox Nicholson retraces the journey of Sal Paradis and Di Moriarty, but with one crucial twist. He will try to stay sober. 
Instead of booze, benzos, and stolen cars, he will rely on the generosity of strangers that he meets in rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Along the way, Nicholson talks freedom with everyone he meets, and in comparing his own experiences of excess, indulgence, and freedom to that of the celebrated beat writers, he discovers that the chalk and cheese forces of beat and AA will have plenty to learn from each other. Wow. Wow. That's heavy. I would have never put the the two, you know, AA and, and Kerouac together. That's yeah, that's wild. Yeah, that could be a hell of a insightful episode. I'm game. And he's an Aussie as well, so hopefully guaranteed character. And what a unique concept. What an interesting idea. Let's just go take that on the road thing, but but do it completely sober. And we should say as well, we've been talking a lot about sobriety and recovery and things like this on the show. Jesse and myself aren't sober, and, and we will be also getting people on. We'll have a bartender coming up on the show soon, actually, who's written a cocktail book. And that's the thing is like, we're hosting these discussions and we're trying to offer alternative perspectives, but we're certainly not like this isn't a recovery show. Um, and, and in the same way that it's not a mental health show, these things will come up time and time again, because they're, I think, central themes in a lot of creative people, you know, in their journey. But it's we're, we're not a sober recovery, mental health specific show. And it is worth stating that. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, I think whether or not, um, you know, we talk about those particular subjects. It is a place that you can come to to find enlightenment and to see the human experience. I think that's what we said from the beginning is we wanted to talk about the human experience and not paint ourselves into a corner. So there's no genre specific things with this podcast, except for we're just trying to talk about humanity, as it says in the intro with Joe Strummer. You know, um, I think there's enough to talk about with that. And I think that it also allows people to Come into this not knowing what you're going to get, which I like. I like that idea. So, yeah. Well yeah. said. I'm glad you said that. And we don't want to alienate anyone either. That's the thing is, you know, like if you like alcohol and you hear us talking about recovery, you don't want to think, oh, this isn't a show for me. Everybody's welcome here. That's the whole point of the show. There is no lines that divide us, only that unite us. So with that in mind, Jesse, are you ready to jump straight into some of these fantastic listener questions? The majority of which I've pulled from the email. There's a couple from social media. Um, We'll start off with Shelby Clanton. And this is directly for you. He says uh, the song, is it Vida in Infera. What's the pronunciation there? I, I say Vida Infra. Vida Infra. So he wants yeah. to know, with the song Vida Infra, I was curious what the take was for the title. Uh, I've looked it up online and I've seen it's Latin for see below. So I'm guessing it's like seeing below the surface, which would make sense due to the nature of the lyrics. But could you elaborate? And this is the kind of stuff we'll be doing in a lot more detail with the exclusive gas behind the scenes podcast. So this is just a little teaser, if you will, for them. Jesse? <laughs> Take it away. <laughs> All right. The, the simple answer, um, which I will not give the simple answer, um, I will expand. But the simple answer is yes, you are correct. The definition is as you say. Uh, and the idea for that um, actually comes from a Bob Marley. Uh, well, Bob Marley in general was a huge, is still a huge influence on me. But when I was writing um, the first record, and Alive Just Breathing, I was listening to a ton of Bob Marley. So I drew a lot of inspiration from his lyrics. And he deals with racism, and that's always been a topic that's been super sensitive for me because I grew up around the black community being a white person and vice versa. I've seen what racism can do. And the idea that, you know, we're all bleeding red, you know, if you cut us, we all bleed the same color. So that whole concept to me is what made me write that song about how we're 
judging each other or, you know, having these, um, uh, what's the word is like superiority complexes based off of the color of flesh or based off of the fact if you're a man or a woman or you believe this one particular thing. That song is about leveling it all down and saying that like nobody is better than anybody else. We all start at this level playing field and there's so much to learn from each other. And it's something, it's a message that needs to be said over and over again. You know, people try to say that, you know, racism doesn't exist, sexism, all of these things exist. They're going to continue to exist, unfortunately, because it is the byproduct of us as humans and our egos and how we're raised and how we feel. And that song to me is just about pulling all of those stereotypes aside. And when you come down to it, we all bleed red. We are all the same inside. We come from the same family, the same species. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much looking deeper than the surface. So the idea was who we are, our skin, but going below, getting underneath it. And I, you know, I was raised um, in a very strict sort of Christian home. So learning Latin was actually part of was part it of really? Yeah, I had to. There's actually a photo of me at a chalkboard um, learning Latin when I was a kid. Yeah. I, my, so can my we parents. post that on our Instagram page? I can find it. Yeah. I'm sure my parents might have it somewhere. But, uh, you know, we, I came from a, a very, um, uh, I wouldn't say poor. Well, I guess we were poor at a certain point. But uh, because my father was studying to be a minister, uh, my brother and I got privileges to go to these like Christian academies. So I went to private school up until the age of like 10 because of my parents. So I got this crazy like higher education with all these rich kids um, and learning Latin was part of that. So yeah, interesting shit. You mentioned Bob Marley there, dude. I don't know whether I've told you this before, but I interviewed Brock Lindo from 36 Crazy Fist once. And I can't remember why we were talking about you. Maybe there was a tour you were on together or something was happening. And he was like, Jesse, man. And his exact words were, Jesse is the Bob Marley of heavy metal. That was what Brock said. And I was yeah, like, I, you're right. I've never heard a description that is so apt for someone as that. Um, the soul runs uh, deep. I'm not going to lie. I welled up when I heard that. Yeah, I do. I remember hearing that a while ago. And Brock, Brock is just, you know, when you just meet somebody and you have this instant connection, Brock is that dude for me. Like, he's like my brother from another mother. I love that guy so much. And I'm a fan. He, you know, I don't listen to a ton of like metalcore or anything in that genre. But I'm a huge 36 Crazy Fist fan. And that dude's vibrato was so odd and, and amazing. But yeah, high praise. I, I, I have a hard time with that one. That's high praise. I'm we should get him on the show, man. We should get him on oh, the I'd show. Love I'd love to. Yeah, he's a radio DJ now up in Alaska. That's what he does. So okay, he's got the perfect. radio voice already. Yeah, he's got an amazing voice. You could listen to him talk all day long. And just the Alaska insight, you know, it's a place in the world that fascinates me. It's so unique. You have know, you been? It, I've, I've no, no, no. I mean, it's not somewhere I could see myself. No fire on the road. We got to, dude. Let's go to Alaska. <laughs> yes. Right. Yes. Oh. That's when we get into the full realm of Anthony Bourdain shit right there, which is our long-term goal. Yeah. All right. It's happening. If you will it into being, it will become dude. so. You want to talk about nature? Wow. Denali National Park will blow your face off. It's incredible. Yeah, we got to go. Let's... All right, it's happening. Um, Troya Wallace Evans from the email says, here's a campfire question for you, gents. What's some sage wisdom from your elders that you carry with you to this day? 
Um, I'll take this one first because mine's fairly basic and applies so much to this last year. And it's one that I have never, you know, taken to, to heart and put into practice. And I felt the, the brunt of not doing so this year. So my granddad always used to say to me, and it's not like super original advice. It's pretty basic stuff. But he just always say to me, save your money for a rainy day always save for a rainy day. And I was like, yeah, rainy day, that, that ain't coming. You know, you, you get one life. I'm going to get out there and spend all this cash and have all the fun. And, you know, I've been freelance self-employed for the last six years. And I've always been able to materialize and like hustle work. Um, so, and part of the thrill of being, you know, an independent creative for me is that paycheck's never coming in. So I've got to get out there. And I was always very good at creating opportunity. And then bang, coronavirus takes out touring takes out djing and i can't make any money doing live events which is where i'd say 80 percent of my income comes from so in hindsight now i can go well if i'd have taken my grandpa's advice and saved a little bit of money throughout my life i could have perhaps been in a you know a better position this last year and wouldn't have had to say move home with my dad which i'm doing which is where i'm doing this show from at my dad's house so it, it sounds obvious and it sounds simple but that's definitely something I'm going to be mindful of going forward is every month, if there's enough money at the moment, there isn't, but put a little bit aside and save because this is the first worldwide rainy day. I reckon there'll be another. Wow. Yeah, I could uh, sure use that advice as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it hit me pretty hard. And, you know, that's why I, I've said it before on this show. Cameo saved me like Cameo truly helped because, uh, yeah, the IRS came in and sucker punched me during this whole thing. So yeah, wise words. And I actually have started saving. Um, and again, what little I can. So those are wise words for sure. Words you don't really want to heed when you're younger though. That's um, it. As all the best advice is, right? You hear it when you're young and you just go, yeah, whatever. And then you get humbled by life and you realize like, oh, that was some pretty sound advice right there. So yeah, anybody listening to this of any age, save a little bit each month if you can, because that rainy day, as we've seen, can come from out of nowhere and, and it can take it out. And um, I think, I don't want to be too bleak, but now we've seen what can happen. It sort of now reinforces the idea that everything is possible. And so I want to be ready next time. Facts. I agree. Um, for me, it's it's definitely a little more general. Um, I guess it, it kind of goes on the same level of, of things that you hear from the older generation. But one thing that was always instilled uh, into me and my parents put it into practice when I was younger, I saw it with my own eyes, was do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And it sounds like such a simple phrase, but man, I'll tell you, it's profound. Uh, because I do believe in karmic energy. I do believe what goes around comes around. So you know, and that's not why you do it. But when you treat people well, it comes back to you, you know, in strange ways and beautiful ways sometimes. So when I get frustrated with people or angry, or even with online, you know, I always have to sort of stop myself. You know, if I'm typing something, stop. Think you know, before actually, you type. Yeah, well, think before yeah. you send. So I, I will literally type out stuff on my notes in my phone and leave it and sleep on it and re you know revisit it the next day and be like i'm glad i didn't send that you know because i i wouldn't want someone to say what i'm about to say to somebody you know like anger is a hell of a thing so i think that can apply in, on so many different levels you know just treat people with dignity and respect and it'll come back to you obviously if they deserve the respect part of it um but i think everyone deserves dignity but um yeah wise words for sure that have stuck with me to, to this day 
Here's an interesting thing as well. I think if because part of the reason why we, I guess, write and, and post stuff is almost to get rid of that energy and expel the anger. So it's actually probably quite a healthy tool if you are wound up about something or annoyed at someone to write it down. So you kind of exercise those thoughts and get them out, but don't share it until, as you say, you've had a day or two to get some clarity and perspective. And then you go and read it and you go, okay, that doesn't need to be said. But because you've got it out, that's actually quite a healthy you know, expulsion of the, the negativity. So I'm going to, you know how Randy was saying about doing like gratitude lists? This yeah, is like yeah. the reverse of that. Like if you're super pissed at someone, write down those reasons why you're pissed, but then just put that piece of paper in a drawer and then you go, okay, I've got it out. They don't need to read that. Shh, rip it up, throw it away, move on with yeah. your life. I think it also will teach you about yourself and how you react emotionally in certain situations and how like that emotion sometimes is raw and you got to cover it with a little bit of logic. And, you know, I think taking a step back and reevaluating yourself is super wise to do. I've learned a lot from doing that shit where I just will type it out, read it. And I'm like, damn, who is that guy? Issues. He yeah, sounds pissed. <laughs> we got to have a talk with ourselves. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll, uh, what's here we go to take the next one. All right. I'm going to take the next one from Sean McLennan. Uh, this is for you, Matt. Is there a specific time you can remember when you felt extremely uncomfortable around the guest you were interviewing? What did you take away from that feeling? I like that one. And kind of relevant to the message I sent you last night, which wasn't super awkward, but the, the, the whole Zoom thing creates a whole new experience. When you're in a room with someone and it's awkward, it's, it's awkward, but you can, I think you can resolve it easier because you're right there. Whereas with a Zoom situation, if there's awkwardness or it's just a little bit stagnant, the conversation, it's really hard to try and engage and like encourage and stoke that fire if they're, you know, just on a screen the other side of the world. There's no real way of reaching them. And I found with a couple of Zoom interviews, I really had to work really, really hard to like coax the guest. This is for my other podcast. I'm talking about Life in the Stocks, never with this one. Um, it's hard sometimes to to reach someone over zoom and you feel like you're drowning sometimes you really feel like oh my god i'm just not reaching this person but i've i don't really get phased by social situations or indeed professional as you may have noticed about me jesse i don't know but there's not a lot that makes me feel awkward um i don't know if that makes me an arrogant asshole but i'm just quite confident in myself um and i don't really get thrown too much but it if anything, if I'm in an awkward situation, I kind of thrive in that environment and will try and, you know, de-awkwardify the situation just by addressing it head on. And I've had some pretty crazy guests on my show where, you know, the topic of conversation has been a little bit fraught and, you know, wild. And I'll just run to the flame rather than like shy back from it. I'll be like, okay, let's address this. But I will say in a direct answer to that question that the most kind of difficult interview I've ever done which is the only interview I've never aired, was with uh, John Spencer from the John Spencer Blues Explosion. Love mm. the band, love his music. Um, he's just an amazing songwriter, great, raw, bluesy, garage rock and roll. But he was just super, super miserable when I interviewed him, and he just didn't want to be there. It was clear he didn't want to be there. And the, the interview was meant to be an hour, as all my episodes are, but after about 25 minutes, in my head, I was like, well, you don't want to be here. I don't want to be here if you don't want to be here. So I kind of just wrapped it up. And he was like, oh, I thought we were going for an hour. And I was like, well, there's no point, is there? And then what was funny is he kind of emailed me a few days later and said, oh, can you take this bit out where I said something about someone? And I didn't get back to him because I was like, mate, I ain't putting any of it out. Don't you worry. <laughs> um, 
And that's the only time I've ever done that. And I don't mind saying it because he was just super miserable. But yeah, that's the only time. Every every other time I've managed at least, you know, to some extent to charm them. But that's my only failure in the podcasting world, that one. Yeah, I've listened to um, almost all of your stuff on Life in the Stocks. And there's a couple where you you did well. I wouldn't have known what to do with it. I would have been deflated. So yeah, you're good at what you do. I'm a fan. (laughs) Thank you, buddy. Well, that's why we're here, I guess, right? Is meeting through my show. And so he's got a question for you too, right? Um, How was taking control over your mental health and physical health for that? Sorry, how has taking control over your mental health and physical health for that matter impacted your lyrics and the way you approach songwriting? Has engaging in meditative practices opened up a new sense of clarity in your writing, Jesse Leach, also from Sean McLennan. Yeah, heavy question. Um, I would say my creativity hasn't been impact. Well, no, I guess that's a lie. No, my creativity has been a little less. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. I have come into my own and I've become a lot more comfortable myself. I have a ton less anxiety. I'm not that depressed anymore. Uh, and I think that was definitely a lifestyle change. Um, as we've spoken before in this show, drinking less, eating pretty clean, a predominantly plant-based diet with some fish uh, mixed in there and some eggs, but um, very clean eating, which helped a lot. Uh, I've been taking these uh, vitamin supplements um, called CMOS, which has been incredible. Uh, and my girlfriend actually has a company that sells them, but I'll plug that some other time. Um, that was huge for for here. If your body is feeling a certain way, your brain's going to follow. So you know, lifestyle and diet was big, but also moving out of the city. I, you know, two years ago, I lived in Brooklyn, New York, and now I live up in Woodstock, New York in the woods. That was massive. I'd say earth shattering for me. The fact I can walk out my door and hear birds chirping or, you know, step out into a snowstorm in the woods, in the forest, that's been my refuge, which, you know, we've talked about on this show as well. All of that has been incredible. And the fact that I can go out my front door and go meditate and sit by the river and listen to the river flow, it's changed me immensely. But I would say this, um, my creativity for the moment has suffered a little bit because there's a lot less for me to harp on as far as when I write lyrics or I write stuff for most of my projects, it tends to come from the darker side of things. And then I find redemption through my writing. And I feel like I've been sitting in this strange, peaceful place uh, and the inspiration starting to come here and there, but it's a different thing. It's a different beast. So I'm learning as I go. Um, and I've got a lot of positivity in my, my life right now. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that you know continues to progress as I continue to write for projects. But during this whole pandemic, there you know hasn't been a ton to really do because most of my musical projects have been completed before that time so it's a long time of self-reflection so yeah it's going to be an interesting thing to navigate once the world kicks back on but uh i ain't done i got a lot more to say for sure you know i got a lot more fight left in me um so yeah mind-blowing uh two years for me incredible really I've spoken to a lot of musicians over the last year and you're not alone man i you know some of the most creative prolific people i know haven't written a single thing in 12 months I think because, as you say, whether you're at peace with what's been happening or you're just you know, overridden with anxiety or whatever the situation is, it's hard to get out of your own head, whatever state of mind you're in, 
and process the the scale of the chaos all over the world. And I know so many people who've just been sat at home just thinking, I don't even know where to begin. Unless you just do an obvious lockdown pandemic record and then what's the lifespan on that do you know what i mean in a year hopefully when all of this is rectified that record then will be you know kind of meaningless because that time has been and gone and it's so time specific so yeah you're certainly not alone there man but i do believe as soon as things start opening again travel starts being a thing again you start meeting all the people that you've been disconnected well not disconnected but you know cut off from yeah. for the last 12 months and that's when the gears start turning again and yeah yeah, it's just, I think it's just hard to, for me to find my footing. You know, I feel like before all this, it was such a clear um, dividing line between like what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's evil. And I feel like there's a whole gray area now that I'm like, whoa. <laughs> so it'll be interesting to navigate that in the future for sure. And that will lead to ultimately even more insightful vital art, right? Because black and white's clear cut and it's easy. If you can tap into the gray and start exploring the gray area in your music, that's a whole other lease of life right there. And yeah, um, yeah man, exciting times. It's, it is exciting, I believe, on every level. The future is bright. And uh, yeah, so next up on the list, Rob Simmons. Uh, this is another kind of kill switch related question for you, Jesse. Uh, to the Sur Oh, no, it's not a kill switch. Sorry, it's, it is a music related one. Um, to the Serpentine Dominion record. I understand, Jesse, you wrote the lyrics for that record. Is that right? That is correct, yes. And he wants to know, what was it like writing lyrics for someone like Corpse Grinder, and how do you get into the headspace of writing for someone else, especially someone like him? He's all over the like metal media news at the moment. He's, he seems like a cool dude. <laughs> I love me some Corpse Grinder. Uh, George is, there's nobody like him on this planet. Um, and he's just got a huge heart, like one of the sweetest people ever. And he, there's no bullshit there. He doesn't fuck around. I love the guy as a person. As a vocalist, he is easily my favorite death metal vocalist of all time. The way he, he's like a boxer with his voice. He's like a Kung Fu artist. Like the way he just can come out with these crazy phrases. Um, but the crazy thing about him is he's a voice. So the, the lyrics for Cannibal Corpse are written by somebody else. He, he's just the guy that tell me what to do and I'll nail it. I'll do it. I'll do it in one take. He's incredible. So when I was approached by Adam, who, you know, Adam D from Killswitch is the guitar player, sort of, it's his brainchild. Um, when I was approached to do the lyrics, it was great. It was like, you know, and I've, I've impersonated George before, so I'm sure he won't get offended, but he, you know, I was like, yeah, tell, tell Jesse that, you know, I, I love his lyrics, but I don't want no God stuff, nothing about God or like, you know, Jesus or anything like that. Just like some, some cool shit, but like the end of the world. <laughs> when Adam told me that, I was like, dude, first of all, I'm so honored that I'm actually going to write lyrics. This guy's going to growl and bark. And then number two, to like write about apocalyptic, you know, apocalyptic stuff. I was like, dude, I'm on this. It was so nice to step outside of the realm of what I'm known for. You know, the sort of like things are hard, but they're going to get better lyrics that I always write. Um, and to be able to just dive deep into like you know i wrote about the third reich i was literally going back in history and looking at wars and um jagged cross legions was one of the first songs i wrote off that record and i remember after i finished writing and i was reading i was like yeah dude this is hard this is cool shit um yeah and talking about like you know the world ending and just writing the stuff that i would never write for any other project it was one of my favorite things to write and i would love 
love to do more death metal and like you know dark writing it was awesome a total honor and when i listen to that record i'm like yeah <laughs> that's so good some of the fastest music too i think there's um a couple of tracks that are up there with like 230 beats per minute and it's uh shannon who used to play drums for the black dahlia murder so it's a all-star record of of uh, metal dudes great record too but yeah honored to write those lyrics what a great question what a great impression as well can we hear another <laughs> yeah you know i like to go to target they got the, the, a lot of discounts there and the claw machine i'm really good at that it's good I buy stuff. I buy stuff for my daughter. She loves the plush toys. <laughs> we should get him on the show, man. Would he be a good oh guest God. for Stoke the Fire? Yeah, he's just one of my favorite people, honestly, and a beast, uh, absolute beast in metal. You can't deny the force that is Corpse Grinder. All right, let's get him on. What's up next? Who's who's All next? Right, so we got Tim. Oh, how would I pronounce that? Combe. I, th I think it's Coom. Coom. All right, uh, Tim. So my question to you both for the show is this. Once an individual has tried to take their own life, do you think they can ever fully recover or will you always be suicidal? I compare it to like an alcoholic or a drug addict where you always have to battle the addiction. So after a suicide attempt, do you always have to battle that? Heavy stuff. You want to start with that one? Yeah. So I've never tried to take my own life so i don't think i can completely answer it you know to the extent that perhaps tim wants but what i can say is as somebody who's been in a suicidal depressed state of mind for months and months and months on end uh, which was last year really before the pandemic um even before it was in the lead up to that i was so lost and i've just felt so disconnected from the world from my industry from my friends you know i think when you're in your mid-30s and everybody who you know from from school and stuff all my best friends are my you know, old school friends and they're all now like married kids mortgages everything so there comes a time when you begin to drift from them because your lives are so different and then so you kind of form a different community, which might be, say, you know, the, the music industry. And the problem with the, the UK music industry, and I'm sure with, with other areas of the world as well, is there's a lot of ego and backstabbing and, you know, double crossing. And it's just a negative zone. And so you kind of don't really feel at place there either. So I was battling a lot of stuff. And then I was, you know, coming out of a very long term relationship with the, the girl that I guess I was most in love with and, and thought maybe this was the one. I called it off because I knew we weren't right for each other. But still, in the months that followed and years that followed, I was like, did I do the right thing there? God, I miss her. God, I'm alone. So heavy depression set in. And yeah, I just remember walking around London every day just thinking, well, I can't kill myself because it'll hurt my mum and dad too much. And, and maybe we'll talk about this on another episode, like exclusively, but the whole experience with breaking my back, that really showed me the pain that anything you know if any harm came to me with the pain that would cause my family so i was in a state of mind for months man where i was walking around going i can't kill myself because it will hurt my mum and dad and my sister too much but what i can do is wait till they my mum and dad have passed on and then i can kill myself then so i've just got to stick it out till i'm about 50 and that was the mindset i was in for fucking months and i remember i was in birmingham it was 
2000, it was 2020. It was just before the pandemic, February 2020. I was on tour with Zach Wild. It was Zach Sabbath, the, the Sabbath tribute tour. I was having this amazing experience on that tour. We played Birmingham on the 50th anniversary of the release of the debut album of Black Sabbath. So it was my home city, you know, part of this amazing historical event, great lineup of musicians and people on top of the world, played the set, you know, killed it hometown hero go to the bar afterwards and i remember having a conversation with my friend jim where i was like yeah man i'm just gonna wait till my parents are gone and then i'm gonna take my own life and he was like you've just fucking like done this amazing show and you know you should be stoked what's wrong with you and then the pandemic hit and you know it's obviously an awful thing to happen to humanity but on a selfish level if i can speak from personal experience the pandemic for me gave me the time to do the work that I'd been putting off for so long. And it wasn't an overnight change, but it was a case of just like white knuckling it and just getting to the the root of my problems and my issues and trying to do what needed to be done to turn my life around and change my state of mind. And so it was a subtle, slow process. And now I can thankfully say, I don't think about anything like that at all. So I do believe that that redemption totally possible and within your you know your grasp you just have to play an active role in turning it around and i'm sure depression will surface again in my life but i i feel now that i've got the tools and i've got the strength and the wisdom to never go back to that headspace again where i feel like i want to harm myself or take myself out so yeah i do believe redemption is possible tim dude you just summed it up i don't need to add anything to that you said everything that i would have said especially right at the end well done so I would say this, though, you started out by saying you really never thought about it or weren't, but you were. You just talked about that. You kind of were, dude. So I was thinking kinda... about it, but I guess I never tried. Coward. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it's I, tough, I, have isn't nothing, it? I have nothing to add to that except for the fact that I back everything you said. And um, I have tried it. Um, but, um, yeah, I have now have the tools and I have their perspective change, you know, where you don't have to spend the rest of your life contemplating that. Hopefully if you do put it in the work, I like that. Put in the work. Yeah. You said it great, Matt. I'm going to, let's move on. Thank uh, you. Dude. Next one. Um, okay. From Mika from Finland. Oh, Finland. I miss going to Finland. What a great country. Great, great fans in Finland, by the way, too. Yeah. They go wild, uh, don't they? Yeah. I played a, I, on that same Zach Sabbath tour, I did like a, a rock cruise on a boat from, I think it was from uh, Finland to Sweden, I think, yeah. or Norway to, to Finland, one of those, but it was Finland was definitely part of it. And yeah, the crowds were insane, insane. Yeah. Uh, some of our my favorite shows have been in Finland. The fans are just, they can't wait to devour the music and just go nuts. It's, yeah. That'll be fun when we get back to Finland. So, uh, all right. So Mika says... It would be interesting to have one episode about discussing the different aspects of DIY, do it yourself, for those who don't know. I feel that we, um, we as people tend to leave out a lot of stuff undone due to our own limiting beliefs and self-criticism. When you actually take the bull by the horns and start doing it, it's a really, really strengthening and uplifting experience. That's great. I love that. DIY. Yeah. I mean, I can just quickly state my love for DIY. Are DIY right now dude <laughs> well I mean for me if I didn't have that in my life that mantra 
I wouldn't be doing this show with you, that's for damn sure. I've worked for every major UK music publication in the rock sphere, from Kerrang! to Metal Hammer to Scuzz TV, and every single one of them at some point has gone out of business and laid a bunch of people off. And I just, in the space of three years, I lost my job with four different companies through no fault of my own. It wasn't anything to do with the standard or quality of my work. It was just budget cuts, and so you're out of work. And I just got tired of having the, the rug pulled from underneath me by surprise and having my whole life thrown upside down so I was like, fuck it, I'm going to set up my own podcast and I'm going to just build that and it's going to take loads of time and I'm four years in now to life in the stocks and I'm still not making anything like a livable wage off it. But what it's done is it's got me on tours with bands and it's allowed me to meet so many of my heroes and favorite people and in many cases become friends with them. It is the sole reason we're sat here today doing this show. And for me, DIY and that attitude to just get out there, don't wait for the opportunity, kick indoors and make it happen like that whole life approach is the reason for everything that is good in my life. So I can't say enough good things about that whole mindset of just don't wait for the invitation or the offer. Get up, get out, and make shit happen today for yourself. Yeah, man, I back that completely too. I wouldn't have a career without that uh, state of mind. That's how I got into music. That's, you know, the shows I started playing were in people's garages, VFW halls. It was kids that would just, you know, clubs wouldn't book bands like us. So we book ourselves. We'd find a way to make things happen. And, uh, you know, Heavy music in general wouldn't be where it is without somebody going, fuck it, I'm going to do this. You know, record labels started that way. I mean, you, the story of Earache Records, the story of, you know, the list goes on. If it wasn't for that DIY spirit, music as you know it today wouldn't be what it is. You know, coming out of rock and roll, this behemoth, this bloated behemoth of the, of the 1970s with, you know, all these progressive rock bands and huge budgets and private jets you know, punk rock was the antithesis, antithesis of that. And from punk rock, you, you could argue that, uh, you know, the, that spirit bled over into death metal, into extreme music where people knew that, you know, there's no place for this in the mainstream. So how did it become such a worldwide phenomenon because of that do-it-yourself attitude? I love it. And I love seeing that with small businesses, for example, um, you know, putting out something that has quality to it versus the corporate, you know, that stuff is like, you know, some people could say that's the American dream. Like people come to this country thinking I'm going to start this on my own and compete against this behemoth of a company that puts out this product. And you see those success stories. Um, unfortunately, not these days, past year, but that whole spirit, that whole ethos is what drives, I think, art and commerce, um, at least on a level of, you know, hardworking people that sort of working class. Um, uh, what's the word? Um having work ethic. And I think that's all part of it. I Hustlers. Back. Hustlers. Yeah. Don't take no for an answer. You know, do it yourself. If someone's not going to help you, fuck them. Do it yourself. <laughs> Amen. And, and the network we're on right here, gas. That's a Perfect reaction. So I'd love over time to get people like chefs and, you know, people that have maybe come from a punk rock background, but their career is not in music, not even in entertainment. You know, it's in food and things like this because it transcends music doesn't it and it does it filters into like every aspect of life if you're a fucking punk rocker at heart um it doesn't matter what you do for a living or even what music you listen to really like it's it's a it's something that runs deep i believe that and if you're in it you're in it for life i know some chefs by the way we could we could definitely get some chefs on this show 
Let's make that happen. Yeah, well, we should get a chef on and the uh, the listener with the cocktail book. We should maybe run those two back to back, a little food and drink special. I've got a guy in mind. Well, yeah, that, that just sparked a little like, oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Moving All on. Right. Next, up, Kim Hopkins on the email. Uh, hi, Kim says, I'm a counselor, therapist working within the NHS. So here in the UK, uh, and I've been on the front line with helping people and their mental health, especially through the pandemic. I have to be honest, my own mental health has been taking a battering on top of all of this. I'm single. I live alone. So the isolation and loneliness has been deafening at times. I was wondering what your take on loneliness and isolation is. What ways do you use to cope with this? Um, you ha- you jump on first, Jesse, if you want to. I was going to say, I don't Thank have a ton to say about isolation. Okay. Just- well, it's me, isn't it? It's my life. I'm very yeah. much the, uh, the the solo uh, individual in this partnership. And yeah, I've had moments in my life over the last year where it went from deafening silence and misery, as I just sort of alluded to earlier on. But going into the pandemic, I thought at the start of it, oh my God, there's never been a worse time in human history to be single right? Because I now, I meet people on the road at bars that I DJ, events that I go to, at concerts that I go to. My amazing career and and lifestyle are totally interconnected. And and the way that I meet people is through my work. And so with the removal of of all of those social and live events, I was like, man, I'm going to be on my fucking, I'm going to be on my onesome for a long time, not just in terms of a romantic relationship, but in terms of just that social connection the human connection and i spent thankfully the first few months of the pandemic writing my book so i was very just busy and focused on that but it was almost like the second i finished that book i was like oh my god the misery set in and it was really hard and i've just found and i think somebody pointed this out to me the other day there's almost a compulsive need within me to connect to people and there is in all of us i think i'm not special or different but Thankfully, I've built a life that allows me to communicate and connect with people on a regular basis in a meaningful way through these podcasts. And and my advice to anybody who feels alone or isolated in any way is just to get on the phone, to get on Zoom. If you can't because, you know, you can't leave the house because of the pandemic, those technological tools are there. But once the pandemic begins to ease out, get outside and just meet people. Just I know if some people are shy and they have anxiety, that can be hard. And I know some people maybe don't have a good support network. They don't have a lot of friends. They've got a shit family that's not there for them. But there are always people out there like you that feel the same. You've just got to find a way of reaching them. Because communication is everything. It's the only way to combat isolation, right? Because I guess the very definition of loneliness is not having somebody to bounce off. And so to combat it, the best thing to do, and it might be easier than said than done, but get out there or don't even get out there, get online and meet people any any which way you can and just start those conversations and start making those connections because only then are you going to start feeling less alone. And when you break it down like that, it really is that simple. Fuck, I'm alone. Right. Let's get out and meet someone. Yeah. And Salt. I think that's, that's a, you know, an issue too with people who deal with um, heavy topics or they're, you know, therapists or nurses or, you know, people who deal with high stress situations. You need help too. You know, a lot yeah. of good therapists get therapy uh, and there are great support groups. There's actually one in the UK. Um, I, it's The name is escaping me, but I did an interview for, I think it was the Metal Congress. And the guest who was opposite of me runs a support group that is predominantly for metal and people who are into heavy music and for them to be able to talk about their issues. And that unfortunately the name escapes me, but there are online communities that um, 
will help. You know, you can find a friend and I've, I've heard stories where people will just reach out in need and become friends with people because everybody needs a community. And like you said, you need people to sort of bounce off of. And during this whole thing, honestly, uh, my girlfriend, she's been a sounding board for me and all my craziness. And I wouldn't be as far along as I am without her sort of like an outside perspective, somebody going, yeah, I see what you're saying and I get why you feel these this way, but here's another perspective. And to get that from somebody who, um, you know, isn't personally invested in you, sometimes it's great. Therapy is good. So I would say seek out that as well. You know, therapy is not a dirty word. You know, it's something that even therapists and people who work in intense situations need, especially. Yeah. And, and then the other great thing is books. And, and as Garrett was saying, books, podcasts, you know, albums, films, the things that enrich your soul. And, you know, I think that these people who make the art that we love are connected to us in some way. And there's a reason why when I meet people through this show or my own podcast, I begin in many cases to develop more meaningful personal relationships with these people is if you like their work, chances are you're going to have a lot of things in common. And so I found solace in the work of so many of the people that I admire, whether or not I meet them is kind of irregardless. It's like that work is there and it can touch you in such a way that helps you during times when you feel like, you know, nobody out there understands you. And I'm sure you feel exactly the same, like albums, you know, films, books, have brought you back to life when you needed it the most, when you felt like you didn't have actually a real person in your life to help you, but the the escape that you had and the solace that you found in the art was key. Yeah, I've had life-altering moments with uh, movies and podcasts. There's this is podcast called The Moth, and it's a storytelling podcast where people just come on and, and tell like a 15, 20-minute story from their life. Some of it's funny, some of it's whatever, but there are some times where I'm in my car with tears in my eyes being like, ah, oh, just because you have this connection to a stranger and you realize that you're not alone. Connection is everything. And that's why we're doing this podcast. That's, that was why we even jumped into this. And look, look what we're, we're doing. We're sitting here discussing connection and human vulnerability. And yeah, I'm just having a moment right now. I love that question. And uh yeah, Kim, just uh, reached out to people. This this kind of piggybacks nicely from that question onto the next. Clay Hirsch uh, says, I try to be positive in all that I do, and I pass it on to the people around me, but at times it feels difficult and it can be hard to keep up the PMA. What do you guys do to keep that attitude no matter what the situation? Because sometimes it feels like no matter what you do, there's always forces pushing back and you can't get ahead. I'd love to hear both of your thoughts on that matter the PMA approach, Jesse, what role so, has that played in your life? Big, big. I'm going to, I'm going to, um, reveal that I'm not wearing proper pants. Hold on. I'm going to show you guys something real quick. <laughs> For the benefit of everybody listening, he's wearing some short trousers that are cut off at the knee. And there are the words P or the letters, sorry, PMA tattooed on his left thigh in bad brains, red, yellow, green color scheme. There we go. PMA. Yes. yes positive, positive mental attitude for anybody who doesn't know. Yeah. So positive mental attitude does come from the bad brains, which were inspired by this motivational speaker when they were younger, um, which there's power in some of that stuff. I actually listened to motivational speaking when I was a teenager to sort of help me with my mental issues via my dad. Um, Cause that was the insight that he had into it. Um, positive mental attitude 
is a lifestyle and it doesn't mean you're happy-go-lucky all the time or that you don't get mad or angry. All it means is when it comes down to when you hit that part of yourself, I don't even want to say rock bottom, but when you get down to the bare bones of who you are, the marrow of who you are as a person, there is a positive reinforcement there. And that takes time. It's not something that just happens. You can't just say, oh, PMA, I got it. I got PMA. It, you know, as Matt was saying earlier, you got to put in work. So positive mental attitude for me has been something I'm working at regularly to see things through a positive light, regardless of what's going on. And, you know, it doesn't mean that you can't be upset. It doesn't mean you can't get sad. It just means that when you get down to it, the brass tacks of who you are as a human, you're going to dust yourself off, pick yourself up and put one foot in front of the other and try. It's PMA is just about trying to better yourself and in bettering yourself, you, you help other people out. It's the, it's the cause and effect. So, you know, there's a misconception when people say positive mental attitude, take your assumptions of what it is and just take it off the table. It's just having that strength to continue and that willingness to continue to get better and to, to uh, push forward. So yeah, I'm, I have days where I feel like total shit and I'm angry and I'm pissed off and I'm depressed. I have days where I can't get out of bed, but it, you know, it always comes back to me and that's because of years of conditioning, whether it's through the music or, you know, through the culture or just through my own survival skills of just, I refuse to be held down. I'm going to find a way to make this positive and to make it work for myself in my life. So yeah, it's something that I've been down with uh, since hearing the bad brains when I was 14, 15 years old and it stuck with me and it's a huge part of my life. But uh, I'm a grumpy PMA dude. I have days where I'm a fucking grumpy dude. <laughs> <laughs> As we all do, man. And I think with PMA, like when you need it the most is when you're feeling down, is when life's getting on top of you because it's easy to be stoked when life's going fine. It's it's in those moments when it's not going fine that that's when you really need to try and like practice and, and, and nourish and, and just shine that side of your brain and the uk equivalent would be so before punk obviously there was the mod movement in the 60s and and i feel like a lot of those bands were the early you know genesis for what would become the pistols and things like this whether it's the small faces or the kinks or the who early on and um you know mods as a term if you look it up there's various different kind of definitions obviously i'm hearing a weird noise there we go. Whatever that was. Ignore that. Um, and the, the term means, in one, one definition anyway, which is my favorite, mod means clean living in dirty times. And that's why mods always presented themselves so sharp in the suits. And it's the same thing. It's like when life's getting you down and it's just grubby and dirty and nasty get dressed up like and i'm not saying that like a, a, a visual presentation of your life is important you know you shouldn't ever like judge anybody on their appearance but i do think there's a lot to be said for like you know having a wash having a shave putting on your favorite shirt getting dressed up sharp if you're feeling down don't lounge around in your fucking pants and your slacks like if if you're feeling bummed out put on a nice outfit get outside and it's that idea of like i will not be beaten down clean living in dirty times um, coming from the mod mantra, which I believe is the same as the PMA, just kind of culturally a little bit different. I I agree with that, man. When I have a bad day and I like trim my beard or shave my head and put on a nice shirt and say to my girl, hey, let's go out to dinner. It does help. You look in the mirror and you see something cleaner and sharper, something you worked on. That's why I love hair trimming. It's so funny. 
I do my own hair, my own beard. I have since I was a kid. Um, there's something to be said for that, for sure. I love that. I didn't know that about the the clean living in dirty times. That's great. I love it's that. It's amazing, shit. isn't it? Mod, mod fashion to me is so rad. I love it. I can't pull it off. I lean more towards, you know, these days more of sort of like a shamanistic hippie ex skinhead look, but, uh, <laughs> but mod is always, right? Interesting is like, what the fuck is that? That's me. Um, oh, and, and, and just to, to clarify the pants I'm wearing are Thai pants. I got them in Thailand and I, that's what I used to lounge around the house. So I was like, dude, as soon as I came on the podcast, I'm like, as long as they don't see it from the waist down, I'm fine. And I'm like, fuck, I got to show my test. <laughs> well, here so. we go. Just to level level the playing field again for the benefit of people <laughs> listening at home. I'll show you my jogging bottoms. <laughs> yes, dude, love it. Pants not required, <laughs> technically. With my go faster stripes like a Burberry look. So a- airborne rock and roll on top tracksuit bottoms below there we go all you need is a, a proper mullet and you've completed the or you know the bogan look you know? i'm kind of on my way there man look at the back of this hair <laughs> bogan mate back in bogan can't I got, I got one of those too man look at this i haven't touched my mohawk in forever my hair is terrible yeah it's all amen. fried out too <laughs> amen to that i am rocking my nice new hat though do you like this this is my new stetson hat I that, do, that i got I do. in brighton when i was down there the other week i feel like that hat needs to travel though for sure <laughs> there we go again for the benefit of you listening sorry you've missed all of this closed chatter um no. brian hogan this is a question aimed at you jesse he would love to hear your experience and perspective on feeling low while touring the world obviously it's been a minute since you've done that but i'm sure those memories run deep uh how does it feel when you're up on stage and things are tough how do you cope with that any insight would be invaluable so the idea of feeling like you're fucking you know you cut the last place on earth you want to be is performing in front of thousands of people but you got to pick yourself up get out there and do it how do you do it yeah it's a good question um because i hate to say it there's been a lot of moments where that's happened you know, i'm a pretty you know besides this podcast and people um what they see on stage like i'm a pretty introverted dude I have to be shoved into social situations. So I have a hard time sometimes presenting myself in a social environment. So when I have those days where I like the last thing in the world I want to do is stand on stage in front of a couple of thousand people as they stare at me and go perform. <laughs> um, I think for me, a huge part of that is leaning on my humility and the fact that I am so fortunate to do what I do and to have the opportunity to present myself on stage. And uh, that's not enough, but that helps. That helps when I sort of like give myself a smack and be like, dude, are you kidding me right now? Get out of your bunk. Cause I've literally had days where I'm in my bunk with the curtains closed, showtime's coming up and I'm like, fuck, like I, it's the last thing I wanna do. And the old me would get up and take five shots of tequila and I'm ready to go. <laughs> um, and the new me has learned breathing techniques, meditational things, just the power of your mind. You can switch your mind. You can face with a situation. If you've got nothing going on, you have no plans. You don't have to make it to work. It's easy to stay in bed. It's easy to just fuck off the day. But when you know, if I don't get on that stage, I've got a whole bunch of people who are going to be let down. There's a whole, the domino effect to me not getting on stage is massive. And that makes me anxious. <laughs> so sometimes my anxiety is a motivator, but I'm always turning it into something positive. I'm always doing my best to like, these people paid good money. They took time out of their schedule to see this performance. They got babysitters. 
they have been planning for months sometimes for this night. I am not going to let these people down. Uh, and I think that's the number one motivator for me is the audience, the people who give me the energy that I need. And 10 times out of 10, I will get on that stage and that audience is just, they're there. And it seems like on my bad days are some of my better shows. And I've actually come on stage and said it aloud after a few songs. I'll say, hey, everybody. And, and I think this is important. You don't always have to be a character on stage. Sometimes honesty and vulnerability in front of a huge audience is beautiful. And I've had more than one moment where I've been like, hey, you know, I've been having a fucking shit day today. And I got to tell you, right now is the best I've felt all day. And the audience will light up and people are like, yeah, because everybody gets that. You know, it's easy to put yourself in somebody's shoes when you can relate. And I know a lot of people can't relate to a singer in a metal band that tours the world. But when you have those moments where you allow people in and they see that side of you, they're going to have your fucking back and they're going to change the whole game. And I've most of those shows where I don't feel like getting on stage and then I do, they turn into these incredible special and you know learner teachable learning moments where i'm like wow this is why i do it it has it has very little to do with me it has so much to do with the audience and and what they give to us as a band and as performers as people who are dealing with their fucking mental issues and loneliness and being away from family and all the baggage that musicians don't really talk about the audience is the solution for that a lot of times because they remind you why you're there it's it's so much bigger than you as a person so i think all of those things combined just are the thing to just kick my ass and be like shut up you know crack on as they say in the uk just get up and get it done and it's been some of the best moments of my life of our shit days that turn into great days because of shows in the audience so yeah i give a lot of credit to others for helping build me up and, and push me forward I always love it when you see bands do that as well. And I wish, and I know everybody's not comfortable with being that open and vulnerable, but whenever I've been at a show, there's one that springs to mind with Everlast from House of Pain, who's, you know, notoriously a very tough dude. And that, you know, I think he's kind of over the years pissed a few fans off with the way he's maybe behaved or treated them. But I went to see him in a uh, kind of acoustic context in London one night, and his daughter suffers from cystic fibrosis. And so she gets really sick and every day he's away from home for him. It's just, you know, the most crippling feeling because he needs to be there when things go wrong to, you know, help her in these life threatening situations. And he really opened up on stage one night and he was like, look, man, I don't want to be here. Like my daughter's in a really bad way. She's at home. She needs me right now. And I'm here. So he's like, if I seem a little short, if I seem a little angry, if I seem a little upset, this is why. And honestly, the whole room's like, we've got your back. We're here. And the night just took a turn on the absolute die like that. And it became something so much more profound and special. Honesty in the live context, I think we need more of. Um, and as I said, not everybody's comfortable with doing it. But when you do, as you said, every single time, the audience will have your back. I've seen it in effect time after time. There's never yeah. been a single instance where a performer has gone, here's me getting real with you guys. And they go, fuck this dude. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It never happens that. No, because that's the, here's the thing. That's the beauty of us as human beings. Really. You gather together in a space for one reason, you know, to go and enjoy something you all sort of have this common interest in. That is a safety net for any performer. And you can utilize it whenever you can, because 
there are performers who haven't and i've been to shows personally and i won't name names because i'm a big fan but uh there was one night I saw this performer and it was total mental breakdown, angry, yelling at the sound people, like just this weird ugh, energy. And I actually got up and left and I had paid like 50 bucks to see this person. And I'm like, wow, that sucked. And I haven't been back since. Come to find out, you know, behind the scenes, there was a total mental breakdown going on. And if that person had, would have just said that and just kind of came out with it. I'm sure that performance would have been incredible and probably very sort of therapeutic for that performer. So yeah, I think the commonalities we have as humans are, are far greater than our differences. And in that particular form, that should be celebrated. And I love moments of honesty on stage and I'll continue to be that vulnerable, sappy ass dude because there's magic in that in a live performance. That's why I love you, dude. So the next question is from Emma Bauer, who is a lady in France who we actually recorded a conversation with the other week. And that is one of the listener uh, podcasts, which will be going up on the gas site. So do check out the, uh, the conversation with a, Emma. If that you was a really good one. Sorry. Was, yeah, it's, no, it's all good. Um, do you want to read the question from Emma? Sure. All right. Would you say the pandemic has increased or shattered both your creative production? Are you handling the situation with a hopeful vision of the future, winning for the after? in quotes, or are you accepting nowadays the situation and doing the best you can out of it? Heavy. Well, I'd say with the creativity one, you've kind of answered that yourself musically, but yeah. this is creative. What we're doing here, it's a different lane for you, but it's creative. Um, and we've said before this podcast wouldn't have you know, been born were it not for this downtime that we've had. And just the stars aligning and all the elements falling into place, so for me personally, and with my own podcast as well, I've done so many interviews in the last few months, which I wouldn't have had the time to do um, from my own point of view, but also just all the artists that I've spoken to would have been out and about touring. And I also wrote a book last year. So for me, this time has actually been the most prolific and the most creative I've ever been in my life. And I've been inspired by necessity because I'm like, fuck, man, I'm 35. I'm living at my dad's house. I need to make some money because I need some financial security and independence in my life. And so it's driven me to just get to work in a way. And I've always been a hard worker and I'm always out there doing the hustle. But in the last 12 months, it's gone from like 100% to 250%. I've just dialed it up so high. So for me personally, this year has been a very fruitful and conducive time for, for my creativity. Um, and I know you've been doing a bunch of other stuff too. You've been doing your radio show. Um, and yeah, I'm sure there's, there's something else you mentioned writing poetry. Was it, but there's, yeah. a, you have been doing stuff out. Oh, well, obviously the times of grace record as well. Like that's coming to. Yeah. I mean, before I start, I, so I call Matt the madman occasionally. Um, <laughs> and it's out of sheer respect because his drive and determination is incredible. He's sort of my cup of coffee in the morning. Sometimes when I wake up, I, I have, I'm happy with that. Dude, I, I wake up to, uh, to voice, uh, you know, voice text or text from him. And it's like, it really does help. So our relationship has been incredible since this, this podcast has been life altering, has given me a sense of hope that I did not have outside of music. And when music was taken away and I thought, well, what am I going to do now with my life? Like literally, like I have got nothing else except for bartending, but guess what? Couldn't do that either. So like you, I hit a brick wall and right around that time when I was kind of going to my lowest was you like, you're like, Hey, I got this crazy idea and it's injected 
all kinds of hope. I would say within a week's time of us discussing it, my whole, like, I was like, I dusted myself off. I'm like, fuck, this is cool. I never thought this was something I would do. And I'm such a huge fan of podcasts, but I never sort of like, oh, I'm going to do one. Like, what? No. What am I going to do? So I've learned a lot. And um, I would say just this podcast alone being the sort of, you know, something that wouldn't have been born had it not been for this standstill. It has been incredible for that aspect of creativity. I will say this under my breath because I don't want to jinx myself. Um, it's something I, I'm trying not to talk about because I feel like every time I do, nothing ever comes from it. But I do have um, five skeleton piano ballad songs for a solo record that I started. Uh, sort of a dark, gothic, um, strange solo record that... Um, you know, with a little bit of love, I could put out an EP uh, in the next year or so. So that's kind of on the back burner. And that wouldn't have happened without the pandemic. And a lot of it's very sad, sort of gothic written in the the, the midst of winter here in the Catskills. But um, I'm proud of it. I came out with some really cool music. So that was nice. Times of Grace wouldn't have had a chance to even be released, as you were saying. It was written before the pandemic hit. That That album's been done. But for us to be able to unleash it, which it's still lagging. I know even as this podcast airs, it's still not there. Um, but trust me, there's been a lot going on behind the scenes that are going to make, as it rolls out, you're going to be like, oh, cool. Because there's going to be visual components to each song. So when a song comes out, you're going to see a really powerful visual go with it. So there's been a lot of behind the scenes that would not have happened. And we wouldn't have even had the headspace to do it had it not been for this. So Times of Grace record rolling out finally this summer, starting soon with singles, wouldn't have happened without the pandemic. And that has been a whole different type of creative thing for me because I'm giving my ideas for these visuals. So I'm very invested in the other side. You know, I haven't been writing lyrics or songs necessarily, but you're right. You know, as, as I think about it, I have done other things that I would never have done in normal life with the chaos of touring. So it has been a blessing in disguise, really. Yeah, you've been exercising other sides of your creative personality and your soul and your psyche, and this year's allowed you the time to do that. And I've got a lot of friends that have, you know, kind of gone, well, I can't tour, I can't necessarily rehearse, get together with my bandmates. What I can do is this solo album or a book, or it's been an amazing time for that. And I think we've seen a lot already of interesting divergent projects coming out. Um, and in terms of the, the second half of that question of like how we feel about the future and going forward, my response to that would be that I'm really not concerned about tomorrow. Um, I've learned in this year to just live in the moment and be present in the day. And I don't like, I have friends asking me like, what are you up to in June? Like, do you want to come to this thing? And I'm like, dude, I have no plans beyond tomorrow. That will have to change at some point, obviously. But right now, tomorrow doesn't concern me. I'm just enjoying each day for everything that it is, everything that it presents. And I know that everything we've been missing will return. I know that beyond any shadow of a doubt. It's just going to happen when it happens in the time that it needs to take to get there. And so I'm just, I'm just trying to not project any hopes or worries either way into the future and just be here in the now and, and for the first time in my life, just be present and grateful for today. That's where I'm at. Shit, dude. Like how <laughs> that's what's crazy about us. There's these weird moments of synchronicity. That would have been my answer as well. I have always been a spaz. I've always been like, let's go, let's go, let's go. Like that 
never stopping. And the big lesson I have learned through this whole thing was to be present, to actually sit still and allow myself to, to be who I am, which it was a whole discovery that happened for me and um, life lessons of just, you know, well, even just having a conversation, you know, I've always been the guy who you'll be talking to me. I'm listening to you. But there's a preoccupation going on where I'm like, okay, so how do I help this person? And then what's going on next? And like my brain will go to this other place. And all of these things, they're detrimental to like your health. They're detrimental to your relationships. To learn how to be present and not expect or anticipate tomorrow, huge, huge for me. And that's been um, probably the biggest lesson I've taken away from this whole thing. And it's changed me. And because of that, I do have hope because I'm not thinking too hard. I don't have a ton of anxiety about the future. I couldn't tell you what's going to happen. And we make plans to do things, but you don't know if they're going to happen. Everything's off up in the air. So don't waste your energy thinking about what if, you know, look at outside your window right now, what's going on. Who's, who's in front of you right now. Stop, take a breath and be in that moment. Huge stuff for me. So I, yeah, that's been massive for me. I would totally agree with that. That wouldn't have happened otherwise. No way. The same with the past as well. You know, you can't control it. It's been and it's gone. It's done. And, and we can learn from our past, of course, but we're not tied to it. We're not defined by it. And, and that's been another big thing for me this year is I've had a lot of shame and guilt and remorse and these things that I've been carrying for a long time about, you know, past mistakes and just choices I should have made differently. And this year has also allowed me to just become finally at peace with the past and let go of that too. learn from it. You know, don't forget it, but don't get stuck or trapped or dragged back to that because it's ultimately, as the Rolling Stone said in Ruby Tuesday, yesterday don't matter if it's gone. And that's true. I love that. Yeah, I can completely relate to that as well. My life, you know, my past is definitely sordid and strange and had some horrible relationships and people that really held me back and tied me down and coming to peace with all of that is one of the best things that I've ever done where I, I'm not angry and I don't harbor any more anger or resentment or I've learned to deal with, you know, quote unquote regrets. And all of that is just being grateful and, and being present. And it's huge. It's probably the most growth that I've had in my entire life up until this point has been the past year and a half or so for sure. And I don't know where I'd be or what would be going on in my life without it. So, you know, I'm one of those people that everything happens for a reason. I truly believe that. I know some people roll their eyes when they hear that, but what are you going to do? You can't, if you can't change something, you've got to learn how to adapt. You've got to learn how to modify your behavior or change or, you know, I love early on, we said survival when we were first talking about how we're getting through and you were like, well, thriving, it's not just surviving, it's thriving. And that simple phrase stuck with me, Matt, and it's definitely been part of my vocabulary. And that's the thing too, that the words that you say, the power and the intention of your words and the thoughts behind them, if you want the future to be good, as Joel Stormer would say, the future is unwritten, pick up your fucking pen and start writing it's on your head. It's up to you. If you want a good life, get a good life. If you don't like your life, guess what? That's your fucking fault. <laughs> Ownership. Just take take it by the balls and, and 
make it what you want it to be. Become the change you have been searching for, to quote myself. <laughs> and that's that PMA in full effect right there. That's literally it. You want to see a future, get out there and make it happen. And speaking of the future, dude, we've got a couple more questions left. And this is some exciting things to look forward to once the world reopens. Andrew Schneider, uh, Matt and Jesse, where are some places in the world you haven't been yet that you would like to visit when the world reopens? Straight off the bat for me, Mexico, Japan, Peru. Yo, oh. Mexico, Mexico's dope. I love Mexico. Uh, for me, it would be um, Iceland. Um, so good dude i can tell you some some yeah. little tips about iceland I'll, sh I'll send you a few photos from my time there oh yeah so i iceland during the summer i want to be able to see it and travel all around so probably during the summer as much as i would like i went to in july time yeah as much as i'd like to see the northern lights i think that um uh fiji uh i had no people that have been there and and they tell me it's one of the most beautiful places in the entire planet so i'd love to see so iceland fiji and um I'm going to say wherever the, uh, is it the Ark of Vango, the, the, the belly of um, Cradle of Civilization, is it in Kenya, Africa? I want to see where the animals still run free in this huge, the Ark of Vango. I, I can't remember what country that's in, but I want to see that before it's gone or before I die. I want to see, you know, um, zebras and, and giraffes and wildebeest running wild. I wanted to see that with my own eyes. So definitely parts of Africa as well. Susan Strom, have you considered doing a Stoke the Fire tour once the world reopens? Wholeheartedly, unequivocally, yeah. absolutely yes. Uh, that's been on the cards since day one, hasn't it, dude? This Zoom thing is great because it allows us to do it from wherever we are, and the Zoom thing will continue into the new world. But once the the opportunity and the 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 kind of um, the the safety is in place, um, it's a dream of mine to get this baby on the road. Yeah, we we cited uh, Joe Strummer as our big influence when this started, and you can hear him in the theme song, and it's definitely a huge influence. But in the same breath, we both were championing the the life and the way that uh, Anthony Bourdain moved through the world. He's a, he's somebody I just watched a bunch of reruns last night. It's somebody I constantly look at of like, wow, that dude had such an incredible opportunity to connect with people and you can see his journey. And I would love, you know, obviously with, with our various, you know, careers, our, our respective careers, it's, it's not something we can do a ton of, but man, to take two weeks out and, and take this on the road, you, you damn right. We're going to do that at some point. I, I can't even imagine what that's going to be like. Uh, and we'll do it DIY, you know, we'll bring GoPros with us. We'll, we'll film it and hopefully get people to help us produce it. But goddamn right. I can't wait to do that kind of stuff. We've already talked, you know, LA, we've talked New Orleans. Um, we could do what stuff in New York. So potentially this will be a slash travel show and much more potentially a music festival, potentially a clothing line. Matt and I have, have very high hopes and tons of aspirations. And uh, I'm not saying no to any of it because um, I think it's a, an amazing concept that we could really run with. Um, and I can just see it now, stoke the fire. Like you can take that anywhere in the world. It applies to all of us. When you gather around the fire and you start that conversation, what happens? It's, it's inherently ingrained in all of us from my ancestors. So yes, is the answer to that question. Yeah, this madman over here is always thinking ideas, always throwing them at Jesse. 
And yeah, I mean, another thing that I would love to do is like an actual, just like a camping holiday with say a hundred listeners, you know, maybe one in the UK, one in the US, but literally just find a campsite or a field somewhere, hundred people cook for each other, sit around the fire, tell stories, play songs, just connect. Um, that's a huge, 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 not possibility. Uh, what, what would be the kind of <laughs> the definitive? <laughs> it's a guarantee is what yeah. it is. It's happening. So, um, yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, duh, 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 duh. Let's end on this one from Mitja from Facebook. I'm sorry if I pronounced your name wrong, Mitja, but it seems like a cool question to end on. Very loose, very philosophical, very open-ended, and I think our answers will reveal um, quite a lot about us, Jesse. If you could know the absolute and total truth to one question, what question would that be? If you could ask it to the universe and you get a guaranteed truthful response, mine would be, and I, I would want to know, What's the true meaning of life? That's the question I would ask to whatever higher power is out there is, why are we here? What's all this in aid of? And some people might be like, well, then if you know, that's the whole quest gone. But I think in knowing, I'd be able to attain it easier. I'm basically just being lazy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I believe it's to understand the, the meaning and the word and the concept of love. I think it's the most complex thing we will wrestle with till we die. Um, yeah. Right so, to, so to piggyback on that one, I want to know what happens next. What is the next chapter? Is death a doorway, which I believe it is, is death a doorway to another life, another dimension? Is there such thing as a heaven? What happens when those DMT molecules kick in and we see the doorways open? What happens? I want to know. I would love to be able to reassure somebody with sort of facts that, like, you know, life doesn't end with death. And I think that's something that all of us, if we knew what we did in this life counted for something for the next, don't you think the world would be a much better and different place? So I would think that would be the one for me. Like, and I do believe that, but belief is one thing, you know, belief and fact are two very different things. We could do a whole show on belief versus, you know, fact and what is fact, what is truth. Um, so for me, that would be the truth of the universe of God, you know, that big question of like, what happens after death? There you go. What an amazing session. So we don't need guests. <laughs> <laughs> it's just us. <laughs> that was really nice to switch it up, man. And um, I want to ask you something as, as we approach the end. You mentioned DMT there. A friend of mine has offered uh, me the chance to take it tomorrow. He's like, do you want to take DMT with me tomorrow? Uh, I'm in two minds because I really want to try it. I really want to experience it. But I'm also really at the moment enjoying like my clarity and sobriety. I'm not far in. I'm only literally a couple of weeks in. But um, yeah, what would be your advice, Jesse? And I'm not going to just put the impetus on you. This isn't a responsibility. Um, no, I, I have no hesitation. I think you should 100% do it. Um, and I'll tell you why and I'll tell you how I think you should do it. Okay. If, you, if you're very comfortable in a comfortable environment, and you're in a headspace of curiosity, um, I would say do it. If you have any slight doubts or you're like, nah, I don't know if this is for me, then, then wait. It's all on your head. But there, I don't see anything negative coming from you looking into that, you know, viewpoint. Um, and it's different for everybody. You know, I've done it with my, my um, I've done it in the past. And it's different for me than some people who have discovered it and they come out and they're like, oh, like, I saw the people and the answers and the, like this, the whole profound thing happens. 
and I'm a pretty deep dude. And when I did it, I was like, it's cool. (laughs) So it all depends, I guess, where your head is at, where your, where your, where your curiosity lies and um, how hard you are seeking something. Because I think people who are really searching for something will see more than somebody who's sort of like, I'm doing okay. That being said, it's fascinating. It's very fascinating and it's short. It's temporary. It's not going to take more than what, 20, 20 minutes to an hour, not even an hour, 20 minutes. And then you're like, you're out of it. You do it. It's intense. And then you come out of it and you learn something. You always learn something. So yeah, keep that in mind. It's short. It'll pass. Um, and if you are curious, I would say, just do it. Just All right. Do it. It's report back. I'm I'll very rep- curious. I'll report back. Yeah. Cause I'm just, I mean, I'm really enjoying the, you know, and as I said, I was like on the piss all last week, a couple, well, two weeks ago, I, I cashed in a bunch of my drinks tokens and, you know, had an amazing time. And I was like, right, I'm going to have a couple of months of sobriety now. And I'm like, just in the kind of couple of week state of clarity. And then my mate was like, do you want to try DMT? And I was like, oh, I, I've been wanting to try it for ages, but I was like, maybe uh, I'll, I'll keep kind of not putting anything else in my body for a while. But nah, you're right. It's time. Listen, if you got the opportunity to do it, it doesn't come around very often, at least in my experience. Um, give it a shot. And if you, you'll know, you answer the question, is it something that you're interested in doing? Cool. And I don't think it's something you should do a lot. I, people who do it all the time, I don't get that. I, like, <laughs> no, no thank like people who do ketamine regularly. You're like, yeah, it's like, no. What the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> I, I, like, I like my life. It's not, I don't have to risk <laughs> it in seconds. But um, I would say this. Report back. If you do do it and you find interest in it, I would say when we do take this fucking thing on the road, we have a show where we do it with a shaman somewhere. Yes. How about that? Somewhere 100%. in Arizona or California or maybe even somewhere in another country. Let's have an episode where we do talk about psychedelic therapy and we do like how the, you ever see um, there's a show on Vice, um, uh, Hamilton's Pharmacopia. Have you ever seen that show? No. Dude. You're welcome. You're going to binge the fuck out of it. And anyone listening, if you haven't watched this guy, Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia, it's on the Vice YouTube channel. This dude is a scientist who studies drugs and he does them while talking about them. And he travels to like, for example, there's an episode in Mexico with the frogs, like licking frogs. He goes down to Mexico and he does it. And you see on camera and he talks about what happens chemically to you. It's fascinating. So I would say when we do take this on the road, you and I should have a, a psychedelic show where we do it and we talk about it and we discuss it with people who are like shamans or healers or hippies or whatever. Little bug in the bug in your ear for the future. So yeah. Just An- another one to add to the farm. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> Seriously. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.